This is our second session now on Philippians 2, 12, and 13. In the first session, we simply focused on that word right there and all of its massive and important implications for our lives. And in this session, I just want to focus on this word right here. Let's read it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, Father, as we ponder the implications of this key word, obeyed, would you give us an obedient spirit, a lowly, humble, meek, submissive spirit to you and your spirit and your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look in future sessions about how this word obey is fleshed out in work out your own salvation. Because notice, as you have obeyed, so work out. So clearly, this obedience is being unpacked in the phrase, work out your own salvation. So in one sense, you could say uh, a Christian obedience is the outworking of his salvation or the effecting or producing, whatever that word right there means. So we're going to come back to that a lot in the sessions to come. But my main purpose in this session is to step back and just make sure that all of us are happily um, submitted to the idea that obedience is a category for the Christian life. Because uh, many of us love the doctrine of grace, right? We love grace. And for many, obedience and grace don't fit so easily together. So I just want to make sure that we are um, giving this word its full due so you have always obeyed, keep on obeying. This is a Christian category for life. It is right to think about the Christian life as a life of obedience. Now let's put it in a distinctly Christian context, because all religions believe obedience is important to whatever deity they ascribe to. But look at this. This is Philippians 3, 8 and 9. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And here it comes. Be found in him. So here's a uniquely Christian idea. Be found in in union with Jesus Christ. Well, what's the implication of that? Not having a righteousness of my own. Now, that would be the product of the product of my obedience. You see how relevant this is? Not, not having a righteousness of my own. That which comes through law. So, law-keeping, obedient law-keeping produces a righteousness that is my own, and he says, that's not where I want to be found on the last day. It's never going to be adequate. If you try to take your stand on law-keeping at the last day, 
it won't suffice because God's requirements are higher than we can meet. So what he longs for is in order that they might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that, that righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So in order for this command or this word right here in 2.12, as you have always obeyed, so now do it again by working out your salvation. For this to be a Christian obedience, it must rest upon our acceptance for the obedience or the righteousness of Christ. That's the ground. That's the, the bottom of our foundation in acceptance with God is the righteousness of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So in all of his striving for obedience, Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I want to attain this eventually because, and here's the Christian logic, Christ has made me his own. You see how it works? At the bottom of all my striving, at the bottom of all my pursuit of obedience, is that I have already been made Christ's own. And I have been made Christ's own because I am in him, here at 3.9 again, I am in him, and I have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. It is Christ's righteousness. So this is a beautiful statement of how the Christian life pursues obedience. I press on in the pursuit of obedience to make this perfection of obedience my own, but I don't do it in order to be accepted by God because God has already made me his own in Jesus Christ. So the bottom, the foundation, the ground of my acceptance with Christ is Christ's righteousness. However, I do want to make sure that we don't throw away the category of obedience for the Christian life because of how often Paul and deeply Paul refers to it. Romans six seventeen, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. You Christians have become obedient from the heart. This is a hearty, joyful, glad submission to Jesus Christ, to the standard of teaching which you were committed. So he defines the whole Christian life as beginning with a becoming obedient. We have turned away from old allegiances and now have a new Lord and we are obedient to him. Romans 1.5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And that's ambiguous, I know. It could mean obedience, which is faith, or obedience, which comes from faith. I'm inclined to think it's the second. But either case, obedience is the goal of the apostolic life. Think of yourself as obedient from faith. One of the reasons for that is that 2 Thessalonians 1.8 describes obedience to the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. So the gospel itself 
is a summons to believe, right? Believe Jesus and follow him. So obedience is built into the very essence of what it means to become a Christian because the gospel is a summons to not work your way to heaven, but believe your way to heaven. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has done the decisive work and has become the the bottom or the foundation of your life of acceptance with God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Obedience flowing from this believing and including this this believing is essential to escape the wrath of God. Here's two last brief texts. And this is his commandment. 1 John 3.23. Notice, singular. This is his commandment, one commandment, that we... One, believe on the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ, and two, love one another. One commandment. Why? Why is singular commandment used? And then this singular commandment is unpacked as believe and love. And I think it's because when you believe, the necessary fruit is love as we see here in Galatians 5, 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, in other words, law-keeping as it was presented in the Old Testament, is not the foundation, not the essential criterion by which we get right with God. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith. What kind of faith? That works through love. So you see, one commandment, believing, and that believing working through loving. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith counts for everything, the kind of faith that works through love. So just lingering over the word obedience here in our text. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, I'm just pleading with you to seriously consider that all of the Christian life is seen by Paul in terms of a deep, sweet, glad, from the heart, yieldedness, submission to Jesus Christ as an obedient servant. Lots more to see now as we unpack it later in working out our salvation.